Hello. Hi there. Hi there. Hey, John. How are you? I am good. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Can you hear me okay? Uh, perfectly. Okay, that's good. That's good. Getting the audio right here. <laughs> okay. Where about in the world are you? I know you're in America, but what part? I'm in uh, Southern California. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I've always wanted to go to California, mainly because of the Beach Boys, but yeah, never got there yet. The good old days, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I like Cal. I've been here about six years. Right. Uh, despite the fact that, you know, you know, last last uh, summer, you know, we were having like really awful air quality because we were just burning up. Right, right. Yeah, so exciting. But the earthquakes are not a problem. Right. I've learned from coming out here, and this is dead serious. This isn't like a joke. Yeah. Uh, SoCal people are more afraid of rain than earthquakes. Really? Oh, yeah. They freak out when they drive in the rain. They, you would think it was like a giant blizzard of snow. Uh, but earthquake is like, oh, yeah, earthquake, whatever. Oh, well, we're used to the rain over here in Ireland. It's a, it's a daily yeah. occurrence for us. So, you know, thank you very right. much for doing this. I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy and thank you for doing You're this. welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just to start things off, um, how did you get into OCD? Into, into, uh, um, what's the word? Doing this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I've only been doing it since 1979. Okay. It's a while. A little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid I got into it accidentally. Really, I, I think early in my career there were there were uh, three rea- three accidents that put me where I am now. Okay, uh, and and they're kind of cool because for each accident, if I had control of my life, I would have made the other decision. Okay, so you know, uh, the first was going to grad school. I, I had picked all the good schools I wanted to go to, and I was looking for a like a safe school, and I assumed that. Uh, the University of Iowa being in the middle of the Midwest was probably a good safety school. And after I got in, was told I had accidentally applied to a good school. Okay. I'd already applied to the good schools I wanted to apply to, so I wouldn't have applied to it if I knew it was a good school. Right. So I ended up going there. Um, on my internship, we got to pick rotations. We were on the one rotation I didn't want to do was the alcohol rotation. I got stuck doing that, and um, the support group that I run that, uh, you know, it's kind of a lot of my early reputation was built on, I learned on there. And last, uh, when I was looking for jobs, and I was in the northeast of the states, and I didn't particularly want to stay in the northeast, and I certainly didn't feel like going back to Philadelphia, where I was from. And it was like the best job I could get was in Philadelphia, working with a uh, woman, Edna Foa, and Edna, you know, could be considered the mother of OCD treatment. There is treatment before Edna, but she she's the first to do the initial studies that really prove ERP is the core of treatment. So right. by ending up with Edna, I accidentally fall into working with OCD, which um, clearly I liked. <laughs> um so I accidentally ended up an expert. And although I like to think if the alternative life had occurred, I'd be happy. I really like the way this one's turning out. So yeah, yeah. It's, so yeah, by so by accident. <laughs> does it kind of annoy you that in the general consensus of the public domain, uh, 
OCDs looked at as just washing your hands and it's not like that. That's that's I've never once been crazy about washing my hands. It's been something way more insidious than that. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, and I mean, but you know, and but I think what really I don't know, somewhere between upsets being enrages me. Mm-hmm. Worse than the public when they're professionals who do that. You know, so we've we've seen clients who were told at some point, well, you're not doing this and that, so it's not OCD, and you're like, do you like not read anything in the yeah. field? Yeah. Um, I mean, that that's pretty bad of a professional's doing it. Yeah. So, so uh, I have less mercy for them. Right. Is is there like an overlap between schizophrenia? Because when I first kind of thought, I don't no, OCD, not at all. I thought I had schizophrenia. That's what I thought mm. it was. I was like, oh my God, I'm like, I have schizophrenia. So it was kind of like a weird, I didn't know yeah. until yeah. people said it was OCD. I was like, OCD. That was you know? good because, because, um, no relation between the two. Yeah. yeah. You know, nice, nice, straightforward schizophrenia. You know, you see the three headed dog coming out of the wall and you know it's there. There's no doubt. There's no question. It's right. there. Okay. You know, um, so, and, and as a, are you uh, familiar with um, Stuart Ralph's The OCD Stories? Yes, yes, yes. I've listened to you on it, on his. Uh, okay, yes, because so, yeah, there was one with a, that, that I worked with a fellow that, that had been his fear that he was right. going to go crazy. And, and, and because and I saw him in his late 40s, early 50s, the problem started when he was a teenager. He had a panic attack and the, idiot psychiatrist decided he was schizophrenic and put him inpatient on schiz drugs where he spent more than a few weeks before somebody figured out it wasn't schizophrenia but mm. then that was the form of his OCD the next 30 years right fear right. of going crazy so um yeah, wow that's just is it just like something in your brain that you're stuck in a loop because i know myself when i get into these patterns i know deep down inside it's illogical but at the same time it doesn't feel illogical it's like it's weird <laughs> it's just hard to get out of that loop yeah so i well let me ask you a question okay <laughs> depends how well i think you may know the answer because you're some familiar out of me you know what the core of OCD is? Because you, as you pointed out, there are a zillion manifestations, right? I mean, I can be afraid I'm going crazy, I'm going to kill somebody, I'm gay or I'm straight, um, I'm a pedophile. Yeah. Uh, I just keep noticing my breathing. There's a zillion manifestations, and we call them all OCD. And do you have any idea what ties them together? I've thought about this. Um, I, I don't know. I'm probably wrong, but I, it's like what if? and And also... Uh, I think for me, I don't know, is it insecurity or something that I could be a bad person or, you know, that that's kind of for me, but I'm probably wrong on that. So you can educate me. <laughs> well, well, I, well, given that you're right, your self-confidence is sucks. Um, <laughs> you say what if, and, and I would, I would put it slightly different, but, but it's still the same thing. Um, it's wanting to be 100% certain. Mm. You might be a bad person. Hmm. like you know what are the the uh you know the every you know when people think about safety they always think of it's kind of like it's safe or not safe hmm. and it's virtually never that way safety is not a fact it's a probability statement right. so you know as probability goes things are safe but if it's like absolutely safe no 
And do you know why you can't be certain? Because no one's certain. <laughs> right. Research has shown us yeah. that the only people who are certain are stupid. <laughs> Witness happened in the United States who in the last election and their voting choices. <laughs> Those are the certain people. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, yeah. I, 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 it's weird things that get triggered OCD. Like my, my, I always had kind of OCD on the periphery. It was always kind of just, I wouldn't say stupid things, but just like stuff. I didn't like looking in the mirror and stuff like that. And then I watched mm-hmm. a show and there was a guy who was like a Marvel superhero. It was like, it was a, it was a dark show and mm-hmm. uh, he was a bad person, but he's always saying, am I a good person? And I kind of thought, geez, am I a bad person? I don't think I am. And then the minute I thought that it was like, just things kept triggering. And then it went into a bit of a spiral and. Yeah, I mean, no offense, you probably are partially a bad person, but maybe not as bad as you think. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. No one's like like all good. Like we all have a dark side. Thank you. you. Know? So, so if you uh, if you want to have no dark side, uh, you'll live the suffering life of a saint. I mean, yeah. you know, for instance, you know, people don't like to be guilty, mm. and they don't like to own their guilt. Like I'm willing to own my guilt. There's certain things, and it's like, yeah, you know, I'm not that good a person. But people always want to have an excuse. So what I always like to point out in a way is like, here's one way that everybody is pretty horrible, right? You included, no offense, that you choose <laughs> to own some nice things that aren't necessary. So you make the choice of owning those things rather than buying something cheaper and letting children starve to death. Oh, I've thought of that. Don't worry. I, well, yeah, but you, you know, and the only thing I can say about your horrible choice is like, yeah, that's normal. Yeah. And I would argue that it's important to, to take care of ourselves, mm-hmm. but that doesn't get away from the fact that we're making choices to let children starve. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, so, okay. Um, we'd have to admit to being not that good. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you're you're you've got some level of evil, right? I think you know, I'm probably worse than you. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I'm okay with it. So, yeah, because I'm willing to. Yes, yes, I'm I'm not that good, and you know, I, I think I I hope I'm good enough, but yeah, uh, I'll yeah. find out when it's too late. <laughs> but there is that I get. I know what you mean. There is that you can kind of get s- spiral when with uh with thoughts like I don't know. I'm sure every, mm-hmm. everyone with OCD has had like, am I in a simulation? Am I this? And you tend to overthink things and everything and it turns into like some sort of weird thing in your brain. And it's, why why is it that people who don't have OCD, they can just think of something and then it's like, ah, and they get on with their day. With people with OCD, it's like a thing that if it means something to them, it means a lot to them. And it's like... Ooh, I like the last thing you said. Well. Well, because because the last thing you said is 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 part of the answer, right? So I think I think I have um, two or three answers to the question. Okay, shut me up if I go on too long. Keep going, I'm fine. <laughs> so the first thing is, I mean, you actually have OCD, meaning you know it's a learned problem. The learned part is what you focus on, but it is also a biological problem. Yeah. And everyone's brain is a part of the brain that doesn't like uncertainty. Evolutionarily speaking, makes a lot of sense. Primitive man in the jungle, here's a noise. Good to check it. 
another part of our brain, we get a sense of satisfaction when we complete things. Again, look around all the stuff we accomplish. If there's no satisfaction, we're not doing it. When OCD is active, the threshold for those two things is less, meaning it takes less uncertainty for you to feel more anxious. And a lot of times when you do something, you don't get the completion feeling, which drives you absolutely crazy. Because it's like, I know I did this. How come I don't know I did this? And actually, that's exactly right. You do know you did it, but you're not getting the emotion. Because the thing is, emotions and logic don't go together. And disappointingly, logic doesn't change feelings Mm -hmm. for anyone. Logic just gives us a reason to go against feeling. You know, if I see an attractive woman walking down the street, I don't automatically go up to her and like, well, she's attractive. I have to go to bed with her. I better go up and ask her. I feel like there's some disadvantages to that. I think my wife wouldn't like it. So I make a decision to not do that. It doesn't change the emotional thing that she's attractive, though. I still feel that. So, so logic tells me don't listen to this emotion, but doesn't make the emotion go away. So, you know, somebody with OCD actually feels these things stronger you know so there's the biological part of the problem but meds so meds are important but alone eh, 25 to 50 percent improvement for some people that's nothing for some people the learn part of ocd completely messed it so they're taking meds and it's working but they won't know uh they go through treatment and then stop taking the meds then they'll say like oh the meds were working the second thing which goes back to what you were saying and just because i never answer anything straight you know, you have these three traits we can't get rid of. And one of those traits is creativity. And uh, the core creativity is the two words you mentioned earlier, what if. Now, I say I say uh, creativity, everybody does think about like, you know, art and all those cool things. Evolutionarily speaking, art is not for, I mean, creativity is not for art. It's survival. Yeah. Where's the tiger? How can I make sure it's not going to eat me? So for many people, it's like, oh, see, so you always attacks what's most important to me. Well, yeah, that's what you're most afraid of losing. Right. You're not worrying about terrorists right now. And you're not going to worry about like, are there, you know, how do I have to make sure my house is protected? But if you hear that, you know, within the two block radius of you, it turns out there are a bunch of terrorists going around shooting up houses. Oh, you're going to start thinking about all the ways you need to protect yourself right now. Yeah. So with your OCD, you know, your mind turns to that and and it is an effort to not give in to that. Yeah. You know, and 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 unfortunately because you know, by the time somebody comes to treatment, there's a lot of learning, you know, because again, the goal of treatment isn't knowing things are safe, isn't knowing you're not bad. The goal of treatment's how do I live with uncertainty and how to live with uncertainty? Like, well, that might be true. How would I hope to cope with that? Um, so that's not easy, but, but, you know, so things naturally occur. And if I keep giving in, that is trying to figure it out. Um, that goes to the second of three traits you have that we can't get rid of. Most people have OCD above average intelligence. So you will never be dumb enough to be certain. Right. <laughs> Yeah, normal normal people, so called. Because we tell people that if you have OCD and you go through treatment, you're not going to be normal. Right, you're going to be better than normal. Because the average person actually doesn't cope that well with uncertainty. They're able to rely on denial. Now, mind you, I say that in the midst of when somebody's in the middle of OCD, yes, the average person is doing way better. But if they go through treatment, 
you're going to be doing something that a very small group does, actually coping with uncertainty. Hmm. In the States, uh, my colleagues and I noticed that the people we had worked with who were, you know, had gone through treatment well, they cope with the pandemic better than their families. Yeah. 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 And, and they, they come, yeah, you know, they, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. Sorry. No, no. Oh, and they, no, they were, Oh, sorry. Wait, God, God, God. God. <laughs> okay. I was just saying, I was the same. Like the pandemic, people were like, oh, this is what I'm like, oh, that's fine. It's all right. It's cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's it. You know, they would come in and say like, my family's like crazier than I ever was. Yeah. That's true. Because, because they don't actually cope with uncertainty better. Uh, so, so it's like the consolation prize of treatment. You know, like you might want to be normal, but sorry, you never get to be. You know, OCD kind of gives you heaven or hell. You can try to avoid uncertainty hopelessly or give in, you know, accept it. But doing denial, yep, sorry, OCD is not going to let you do denial. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think you can kind of use it as well to your advantage, OCD. And that's, I know that might sound like an odd thing, but like, you know, if I'm learning a piece of music or I'm trying to create something, you know, you get very obsessed with it, which can be a detrimental thing because you can go crazy and just spend forever on it. But it also makes you kind of very uh, focused on things that you're interested in, in a positive way. I, I, I would argue with you. Go on. Well, you know, I said, you have three traits we can't get rid of. I've mentioned intelligence, creativity, and the third is a good imagination, which being means being able to think about things so vividly it feels real. You scare the crap out of yourself. <laughs> and those traits are not your OCD. Those traits are co-opted by your OCD. You've got them with or without. So I think all the things you do with music that are really great and all the focus, that's you taking the abilities you have and using them for that. Because, right, the OCD would be you never finish. Yeah. I never looked at it like that. That's cool. I'm glad I'm good for something. Yeah, man. Saved me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that kind of makes sense because... Yeah, I get what you mean. It's the OCD that probably would make you kind of stay on things forever and go not finish it and go it's never good enough. And, you know, there's that perfectionism thing. It, is, is a lot of OCD to do with perfectionism as well? Is, is that a... a, a if, 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 you're, if you're a perfectionist in that way where it's like screwing up life or if it's not screwing up life but you have no life because you're doing everything perfectly, yeah, that's OCD because, again... What you know? What what is the what what is the definition of perfection? Yeah, because you know, a, 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 I think this could apply to music. But a novelist said this: um, you never finish writing a novel; you just stop writing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that's could be said of any piece of music or lyric, right? You know, it's like, well, you know, you know, you, at some point, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm done. Yeah, art is never finished. I think who said that? Pollock, Dylan, someone said it like that. It'd be, it'd be cute if it's Pollock because, like, how would you know? <laughs> yeah 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 that is true that is true is there a lot of like uh, speaking of artists and musicians and stuff like that um is there a lot of artists and musicians and authors that ha- that have ocd i know tesla had ocd but I- is there a lot of people in creative fields that have ocd i don't think they're overrepresented i don't think right i mean but but i don't know that i think they may not be overrepresented because ocd is so common Okay. And one in 40 people, you walk down the street, you count off 40 people, I guarantee. I give a lecture somewhere, you know, it doesn't matter if they're professionals or not, you know, if it's, it doesn't matter if it's a room full of psychologists, you know, 
there are 200 people in the room. Yep. Five of them got OCD for sure. And then, you know, I mean, it's, it's that, you know, predictable. Currently, it almost seems that way to me because, you know, I used to work in Philadelphia. When I moved to Cali, uh, I'm, I'm in L.A. And L.A. is known as an industry town, meaning movie industry. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, the majority of my patients do something in the movie industry. But that's just because that's everybody in L.A. Right. Uh, right. You know, so, so we'd give that illusion. But, yeah, you know, Philadelphia is just a variety of everything. So. Um, but it's definitely represented in, in, in every area. Okay. Is it more popular in the Western world? Cause we, we bring anxiety uh, on ourselves almost. There was a, when I first started working in OCD, 79, um, it was thought it was, it was, it was written about as if it was a very rare disorder. Okay. I knew that was wrong. Because when I would tell people what I did, they always knew somebody. And and in a statistical way, it's like, this can't be rare if somebody always knows somebody. Yeah. Worldwide epidemiological study was done and pretty much in every place in the world. It was roughly, you know, give it, you know, different different places, but basically one in 40. So no, that's in a worldwide figure. For some reason, why don't for some reason in the states we're way ahead of everybody treatment wise you know um i mean you know but but i say that me you know that even though we're ahead of everybody treatment wise still in the states from the time you recognize you have a problem let alone forget what if it's diagnosed properly the average time to find proper ocd treatment is 14 to 17 years so us being pretty good, it still sucks. Um, and that's with like in the 90s, the American Psychological Association and the American Psychiatric Association, their treatment for you know, their treatment guidelines for OCD were in agreement, which in our country is pretty bizarre those to agree that it should be exposure and response prevention. The OC Foundation says that. Mm-hmm. And in the States, virtually every OCD expert agrees with that. You know, whether they're a biological person, a drug person, or that everybody agrees ERP is a core treatment. So the thing we've learned about OCD in the States yeah. is it's easier to treat somebody with OCD than to change the behavior of mental health professionals. Right. Now, right. elsewhere in the world, it's worse. You know, like there are there are definitely some uh, really uh, well-known good therapists in, in, in you know, in England. Yeah. you know, who work with OCD. Um, but it's still hard. It's harder to find treatment there. And, and as you spread through Europe, it gets worse. I mean, so there are people, you know, they come to, they come to conventions so we see them, but it's been harder to spread. Um, some places like India, it's just like really primitive. Uh, when I speak to friends from India, they're like, yep, they just give drugs and don't believe in anything, you know, any, any like the psychological right. treatment. So, so, it's really sad world. I mean, it's kind of bizarre a treatment that's been around since 79, 85, if you want to give people a few years to read the literature that's accepted by these organizations. Yeah. That it has that it's not common now. I really thought by this point in my career, you know, I'd be great for supervision or something, but like it wouldn't be like um one of the only games in town. But I mean, I said LA's not bad. I can name a bunch of people, but still 
I just regularly, you know, the people I mentioned to you had, you know, they've had OCD for like 30 years, Yeah. but just because they, they didn't have to, it's just because it wasn't good treatment. Yeah. It makes me look good. I like to think I'm good, but <laughs> part of, part of me being good is just doing what I'm supposed to, as opposed to, you know, I've got yeah. some magic. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself having any kind of, if you have a thought that might be a bit odd, do you go, oh, this is an OCD thought? I know you don't have OCD, but can you kind of go, is this an OCD thought? If you have a strange thought, you just go, ah, it's a weird thought. Oh, for myself, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or can you just go, ah, it's a weird thought? Well, no, I don't get, I, I don't get worried about weird thoughts. I'm, I'm full of weird thoughts. <laughs> um... As near as I can tell, uh, and I may be lucky because I haven't had been severely tested, I'm pretty decent with uncertainty. Like when my son, when son was like 16 and, you know, he'd be going out on dates yeah. and he would always, not always, but most of the time he'd come home late. Right. So there'd be this time where he's supposed to be home. He's not home. And my wife, Kathy, wanted to call him. I didn't want Kathy to call him. Not to be nice to him. I knew that his cell phone was going to be off, which she also knew. So obviously, if you want to call your kid to find out if he's okay and not dead, his cell phone being off is not going to be you calm. <laughs> so Kathy would say to me, like, well, when can I call him? So I'd make this calculation. He wants to be home at this time. I think I'll be home at this time. Let me add about 40 minutes. I said, you can call him at this time. I, that's a pretty good guess. You always made it home before then. So for some reason, that worked. And she would like go to sleep. And then I'd lay there and think, you know, probably he's okay. You know, probably he's not doing anything depraved, probably not, you know, getting harmed horribly. Mm. But you know what? Because it happens, this could be the night where our lives change and everything goes to yeah. hell and he's dead. Then I go to sleep. Hey, I because I won't go to sleep. I'd, fr I'd freak out. <laughs> right. But again, because there's no safety. It's just odds. Safety is low probability, but it's not no probability. Right. So currently I've been pretty good. Um, uh, but, um, you know, maybe, maybe that's because I've just been lucky enough not to have to deal with a horrible thing. I think I haven't dealt with a horrible thing. I'm not sure I'd have to obsess about that. Right. <laughs> would you be very analytical about things? Just matter of fact, or could you? Is that? Would you? Well, think I could be scared. You know, my age, I think, like, wow, I really could drop dead at any time. You know, your age, like, you could drop dead at any time, but you probably won't. In my age, like, people do drop dead at any time. So you know, yeah. I could live a long time or not. Um, unless this is one of your fear areas, I, I believe that you do not want to be maimed, paralyzed, or disfigured. No, definitely not. Okay, relief to me, to your listeners and everything. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, how do you get around town? Yeah. yeah you drive? Yeah. Well. Right. So basically, you know, especially pre-pandemic, you know, you would risk death to do fun things. Mm. Your brilliant plan is, well, yeah, I hope, you know, I know I could have a terrible car crash, but I hope I don't. And uh, your plan is, I'm not going to deal with it until I'm bleeding out, being crushed under the metal. Yeah. And the goal is, with treatment is to do that with everything else you fear. Okay. Like that could happen. That's when I'll deal with it because I, I, I don't think there's 
I, I wouldn't be willing to say something can happen. I might, I might, I might get me to go with low probability. Yeah. But uh, you know, if you want to say, what if we're really living in matrix world? I'm good with that. Yeah. Uh, my question is, but there's no way to prove we're not. Um, there's no way to so, prove, or there's no way to disprove it. Yeah. So it's like I'm going to pretend this world's real. Yeah. Because <laughs> it because it might be. Because uh, it would really suck if it was real and I'm treating it not. So I'm going to do that until I wake up. But it's not the crux for people with OCD that you need to prove that it is 100% real. You need to know that you're in a thing. And, that's and, I, don't, and, and I would go with, yeah, we're not proving that. You might be a matrix world. Yeah. So and, that, and, and our goal is, well, let, let's learn to live in this one until, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, in terms of like, I, I don't know, you might be right. You know. Can, can you ever fully cure OCD or is it just it's always going to be something it just kind of moves on to something else because for me it, it moves on to different things uh, you know things that wouldn't bother me would well I think in my experience and also in the experience of some of uh, you know some of my close friends and you know there's some really great therapists who also have OCD oh um, right and and uh, you know what what I see and what they will say um they can live a lot of time where it's not bothering them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it will peak up and they will have to deal with it every now and then. And uh, a woman, a therapist, Shala nicely, whom I love Shala. Shala is great because, um, you know, she will talk about slipping periodically, you know, that, you know, she'll get her great urge and, you know, sometimes she'll do exactly what she's supposed to do. She'll do her stuff and she'll get under control quickly. And, and she lives a pretty free life. Sometimes she messes up, yeah. and when she messes up, she will pay for it because you know it's not just like she messed up then. That means like oh, she's put herself into pain for a couple of days, even even if she pulls it together after a few hours. Yeah. But the thing Shala always does is she's always compassionate to herself, so she doesn't further beat herself up for messing up. It's like she takes care of herself. You know, so that that's a really important thing besides. You know, besides doing the work she needs to do, compassion mm-hmm. for oneself, because um, I don't know how to be certain and I don't know how to be perfect. Yeah. And there is kind of having, well, I think for me and a lot of people I've talked to with OCD, they have OCD about not having OCD. You know, you start to get better and your OCD is like, yeah, you don't, you actually don't. These thoughts are fine now because you actually really want to do them and think them, and you're like, oh my god, it's like a never-ending kind of <laughs> annoying person well, in your head. Yeah, and you know, Shala, and so many people talk about that. She, when, when things are going well, she thinks that this like little naggy dog nipping at her feet, and she's like, come on, yep, you're coming with me, and listen, you know, like we're not going to be doing stuff you want to do, but like you're coming. And all the time, it gets really big and scary, and she has some monster that you know. Yeah. Kind of a combination of three horrible monsters that uh, takes on that persona, um, hmm. but I, I, you know, I think I think if I expect the slip, I do better than if I think it's gone, never coming back. You know, so yeah, and enjoy these times. It's useful if I can stay on guard, you know, and keep up my stuff because I think people who are doing better and it's like, okay, I don't want to think about anything OCD because I don't want it to come back. You know, like, 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 this is great. I don't want this to stop. And of course, then in a way, they're starting to do avoidance, make sure it doesn't come back, which is the exact thing that made it come in the first place. So as one of my clients said, uh, what, you mean I always have to poke the bear? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you keep poking the bear, you'll be safe. Yeah. It, it does. 
it does kind of sound odd that like the that you need to kind of almost confront your fear of what it is for it to actually get better, which is the one thing you actually don't want to do. You, you know, if you could never think about anything to do with those thoughts, you'd be quite happy. But it's almost you're just you're just stalling the inevitable, aren't you? Well, you're not dumb enough to believe what you're concerned about is impossible. May not be likely, but it's not impossible. So. You know, if I'm working with somebody who has the uh, the pedophile OCD, whatever, I'm a pedophile. Mm. And that's a rough one because, because the public doesn't understand OCD. If you share that one, people look, you know, you have to be a very gutsy person to be able to get away with explaining that in public. You have to be like, yeah, this is my OCD and take it or leave it. And some people can pull that off, but most can't. So that's a rough one. Yeah. I will ask that person, okay, well, suppose you wake up tomorrow morning. And you know that, like, burying your head in the crotch of a five-year-old would be, like, the best thing in the world. Like, you just know it. What would you do? So, you know, the first response people would say, it's often, it's like, oh, I'd have to kill myself. It's like, okay, let's say you can't kill yourself. And they'd say, well, I, I just couldn't stand. I would never want to do that to a kid. And I said, wait a second. Um do you ever see people who are attractive in the street? Yes. You always run up and ask, do you, you know, will they sleep with you? No. It's like, okay. So you can have these feelings and not sleep with them. You don't have to give in. Uh, yeah, but it would just be terrible to have those feelings. And, and I couldn't, I wouldn't want to handle that. So if there are people who have these feelings and never gave into them, mm. and we maybe don't even know about them because they're obviously not going to share it. They should kill themselves. Mm. I, you know, and by the way, what if your little brother came to you and said, I've got these feelings and I know I want to do that. I mean, I, 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 this is really great, but I would never do it. So you would tell your brother, yeah, he's evil and he should kill himself. Yeah. And well, when we bring it, when we bring it outside of them, mm. they're like, oh, well, no, I wouldn't say it to them. So it's like, okay, well, you know, double standard is not useful. So I don't know if you're going to be a pedophile tomorrow. You know, because all we can say about you and me is neither of us has a conscious plan. We're going to go out and do that now. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping and you're hoping not to wake up that way tomorrow. But it doesn't mean we'll do it. What if I do it? Well, let, let's first have you wake up and know that that's what you want. You know, call me. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But, um, but you know, in talking about their brother and everything, we said, you know, because I think people's automatically like, I'll have that feel. I have to do it. And oh, my God, I want to do this. Like. Putting in, you know, separating. It's like, oh, I, I could live with that. It's, it's definitely a second best life, but um, people love talking about how great acceptance is. Yeah, and and I do think acceptance is good. However, the people who talk about it are partially lying. Because right. the first truth about acceptance, I think, always is that it sucks. Because right. it always means I'm going to choose to live the second best life. Right. I'm going to choose to go on with life even though my spouse died. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I'm going to choose to learn to live in a world where I have OCD. I'm going to choose to live in a world where X might happen. I mean, can you imagine? You and I, we could be living in this like really decent, you know, Western world where everything's going, you know, pretty good. Yeah. And then like a worldwide pandemic comes up and screws everything up. 
<laughs> like that, that can't happen. Yeah. So acceptance is not easy, you know, but it's better than the alternative because the alternative is usually some fantasy that will never happen. Mm -hmm. uh, so the best reason for acceptance is it's like you don't have a choice. Right. You know, right. my spouse dies, he's never coming back. Um, and the thing is, you know, if we take OCD, you know, and, and there are many people with OCD who have uh, really coped with it and I think overcame it in a way that it's not controlling their life. And, you know, one can always question, I, I don't know if I can be that good, but the fact they exist, like, okay, it's possible. Yeah, uh, and and if I can steal a little more time, there's a woman who lets me talk about her, and, and she had OCD her whole life, mm -hmm. but in, in her late twenties, it slammed into her. So she'd kind of like suffered with it, but it slammed into her. And it, her OCD was focused on responsibility, and she was a fourth grade teacher, so she worried she's going to contaminate and kill the kids. She's going to um, molest the children. If they slip on something, she left them the floor. It's their fault. If they look sloppily dressed and get tea, everything was her fault. And she was incredibly depressed. And um, you know, so we did have to have her. We, we, it was obvious she had to go on meds. And she worked really hard. Um, but, but the fear of like, still like things being a responsibility were still kind of hard for her, even though she worked hard. Until one day I said to her, you know, there's probably some kid in your class who has OCD. And all the stuff, you know, that you've done and the stuff other teachers do with Purell and all these other things are making that kid worse. Yeah. And she began to cry because she knew which kid it was. Right. She was going to be damned if she would do that to that kid. So that she got way better. But that's not why I'm telling you about her. One day in our support group, she said, I have no regrets about having OCD. I have no regrets about all the years I lost that it tortured me. I'm really happy it's under control, but I like me. I like the person I am. And, you know, OCD taught me things. So I don't want to undo and change and be someone else. And even though sometimes I slip and it sucks, I'm really glad I know how to get it back under control. So I consider it practice. Yeah. Yeah. And so people with OCD should always know that you're not defective because you have OCD. Yeah. A problem that sucks. Yeah. You may be lost up to it, but if we're going to be successful and you're going to love yourself, then, okay, sorry, you had to go through this crap. Yeah. But, you know, being stronger being better than people without OCD. Hey, you got stuck with the OCD, so you might as well get the consolation prize. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get what you mean. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, um, I'm sure everyone's wouldn't have been a, in a bad place with it. It's not the easiest. Like, yeah. I, I'm as shameful as it is for me to admit it. You know, there was, when mine was bad, like, I, I wanted to kill myself. Like, I really did. It wasn't like, because it was like you were a different person. You were like, one day you just woke up, you had this stuff you never thought about in your life, and then you're like, well, right. why am I, who, this is not me. And, right. you know, it's and like, like you said, it's, yeah. 
It's so much with the hand washing is also you feel like not like you have something that everybody knows about. It's like I've got Paul disease. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and 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 no one else in the world has this thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's it's then there's a shame to it and everything. This you know, it's just everything on top of you and mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's uh you know, I've talked to people with, with other people with O C D and we've you know, it's it's kind of cathartic to talk to other people who have it because you don't feel so alone and you know but at the same time you can it's it's not good to get into that kind of thing of like constantly talking about it and then you feel you know i don't want anyone to feel pity for me or like what was me type thing i think that if you get caught in that that can be a bad cycle too yeah well i mean i think it's nice if i have a really supportive group Mm. you know your show's doing nicely you know for people the ocd stories nicely currently this year because of the pandemic the oc foundation has been really making an effort to have a zillion outreach podcasts you know and and the thing is they're they're good ones they're not going to be pity party ones so (laughs) you know the international ocd foundation is actually currently a source of a lot of podcasts where you know many of your listeners like they're bound to hear something like themselves and hear good advice and, you know, hear from talks. Uh, two of the people doing the talks, uh, Liz McInvale and Ethan Smith. Liz is a psychologist who had OCD. And Liz, she had, she, her OCD was really severe. I mean, yeah. you know, um, and and uh, she's in good shape now, but she... Uh, I'm sure there's some people who can top her for how bad it was, but she's up, you know she's up there. And Ethan Smith is, is who does some work for the foundation with her. He's not a psychologist, but he also had a very severe one. In fact, he has a he did a keynote address for the foundation, which on his site and I think on the foundation site, and his treatment was um, videoed at one point. So it it's a startling. You know, many people watching that would go like okay i wasn't that bad right uh but he's good now right and he's living a good life now so um you know good advice good talks that are supportive and understanding not like like you said not a pity party yeah yeah before before i let you go because i know i don't want to take out you've already taken up enough of your time um why is it that when you when the thought feels real like you know, you get a thought and it's like real, and then 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 later you could have that same thought and it doesn't feel real. What is the huge difference for people that it, it keeps them locked in that that thing? Because is it a real thought or is it not a real thought? I know you could say no thoughts are real, you know. Oh, I was going the other way and going all thoughts are real. Really. I would have said. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know what you mean by real. Well, you're, 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 I mean, um, I mean, let's take, let's take some evil thoughts or okay. some really depraved thoughts. So I guess about nine years ago on HBO, there was the show True Blood. Yes. Got good vampires <laughs> and bad vampires. And, uh, and the heroine in the show is, you know, has a relationship with a good vampire. Mm. And because it's HBO, there's got to be an explicit sex scene every show. Right. And in their sex scenes, 
in this show, whenever they have sex, basically he's going to chomp down on her neck and blood's pouring out. But in this show, that's a good thing. And people love the show. So people are like loving that, right? And so like, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sure somebody had more depraved thoughts than that, but that seems pretty real. Like, oh, you know, I just love their romantic life and everything. It's like, so, um, you know, what, what's a real thought? People like, like that. Watching the show, they like watching all those Freddy Krueger movies, you know? So, like, like what's what's real? Yeah. So, you know, the question is, like, well, you know, um, we're all pretty mixed. Uh, You know, people, you know, hey, they they watch, like, car racing and they don't want to see a crash, but they kind of want to see a crash. I mean, I don't really want to die in anything, but, like, you know, they watch it for that. Um, emotions feel real because we're wired wrong, you know, uh, they come from a deeper part of our brain. That's like more from reptile life, you know, and little reptiles running around. They don't think they need emotions to make them act like that without thinking, you know, so little reptile sees, you know, Tyrannosaurus, it's just good to go "Ah!" and run away. No thought, you know, it's useful if it can learn to heal the stomping of the feet as like it's coming, but it's not like, Oh, Tyrannosaurus is like, ah, that's still in us. Yeah. And we have this cortex over it of logic. So logic and that part are separate. So feelings feel true. But um, hey, in the States and perhaps in Ireland, um, you know, when people get married, unless they're psycho, they assume they're to be together forever. <laughs> in the States, 50% of those marriages end in divorce. That's how good that feeling of certainty is. That's what it's worth. It's a feeling that feels true, not worth much. Yeah. Kind of sad to sacrifice your life on a feeling that you know can't even predict a good marriage. Yeah, well, it is. It is kind of that that weird thing as well. You know, if you if you have a thought that's like disturbs you, like it it disturbs you, but at the same time your brain said, "Oh, you that you want that thought," which is equally disturbing. So you're in like a a flux of being disturbed by it both ways and. You know, somebody once asked Stephen King, why do you write about such horrible things? To which he replied, what makes you think I have a choice? (laughs) Not that he he has OCD, but thoughts of good and evil and what is the evil in man. And of course, to write a good book, he's got to get into that character and describe like, hey, why would this character want to do this to make it real? Right. And there's a reason we know that everybody thinks like him. He's rich. <laughs> they all read his books. So, you know, the difference between the person having these horrible thoughts and Stephen King is he's taking advantage of them, writing them. And they're trying to like, don't think that. Ah, how do I get away from it? What do I mean? What do I want? So, yeah, yeah they are normal thoughts. And, and yeah, we're all imperfect. And none of, you know, few of us are pure. So, well, maybe there's some of that in us. Is there too much in us? And, you know, the answer is hopefully not. <laughs> you know, um, hopefully tonight I don't go nuts and slice and dice Kathy, my wife. Hope so. I don't have a plan as far as I know. <laughs> it's a little scary because, you know, in my house, I always have knives nearby, so it wouldn't be hard. But I think, um, you know, the, the, the main reason to think I won't is besides I don't have a current plan. At least in our case, you know, I haven't done it for the last 50 years, so mm-hmm. probably I won't, I hope. Okay. 
Okay. You know, it'll really, it'll be interesting, your podcast, you know, tomorrow. It's like, uh, <laughs> this was the last podcast from this guy. I don't, I don't know what to do because, you know, he's the guy they just wrote about who licensed Dice's wife last night. Um, Give me a lot of views. Give me a lot of views. Yeah, you know, he, he would urge you that, like, hey, there are a lot of other OC therapists who don't do this. So <laughs> it's still a good treatment. You know, he just went nuts. Hey, one doesn't plan on going nuts. So he went nuts. So, um you know, please, please don't be afraid of treatment because he went bonkers. Yeah, that's it. A... Because anything is possible, including me going bonkers and doing that tonight. Probably not going to happen, but it's. Safety is a probability statement, not a fact. Okay, I'll remember that one. Okay, and on that note, thank you very much for this. I really, um, really appreciate your time. It's been great, and oh, thank you, thank you, thanks for having me. Oh man, it's an honor. Like, uh, yeah, thank you. I like, what more can I say? Thanks. Okay. <laughs> I hope you have a have a lovely week and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. likewise, and and I I I hope we help some people out there. Yeah, yeah, you really do. Uh, I really much appreciate your time, and uh, have a have a great week. And a year, and all this jazz and life, and oh, you know. <laughs> Till we meet again. Till we meet again, the next one. Um, I'll link you up, up the, when this is all up. And yeah, have a great day. Hey, thank you. You have take a, care. You too. Thank you bye very bye. much, John. Bye bye. Bye bye.